Uh, when I was 11 is I think when I kind of really realized what it meant to follow Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. Ever since then, um, I just really wanted to know what God wanted me to do with my life, what his will for my life is. And so in college, that was what I was looking for. What is God's will for my life? Because I'm going to major in it. And so I was majoring in music and loved music. And I was praying one night um, in the prayer room at Malone College. I was just really like almost tormented, like, God, what do you want me to do? And so I was praying and praying and thinking, and I was just writing things out. And I just was like, what do I love doing? What makes me feel alive? I just kind of came up with two things. It was like writing songs and performing and recording are what I'm so passionate about. And then also discipling people and encouraging people and helping people to know Jesus. After college, I decided I'm just going to get whatever jobs I can to pay the bills, but I'm going to like focus on doing music and I'm going to play out as much as I can around town and then you know get recognized in other circles around Akron and then other circles maybe in the tri-state area and just you know build a career being a touring musician starting there. In 2012 I recorded a, a full-length album and at that point I was like that's gonna be it my album's gonna come out and it's gonna break and it's gonna be the start of my career and it was kind of the same thing I was still just kind of playing out whenever I could and it wasn't the big break that I thought it was going to be and so um, in 2014 I came to a culmination where I was like still in that mindset of like I have to do music more and I need to change something big in my life to make that happen and so I decided that I was going to move to a different state to a better city for music so in the fall of 2014 i ended up moving down to charlotte with the idea that i would just try to do music in a better city but i kind of found myself in the same place of i'm working and i'm doing music kind of on the side but my commute is like forever long and so i can hardly do music because i'm spending 12 hours a week driving and um so i was there for seven months and um, ended up having a conversation um, with Ezra back here at Grace on the phone and just about where I was and I was kind of feeling purposeless in North Carolina and like not really sure why I had moved there. So in the spring of 2015 I moved back um, and a year from when I moved home I kind of had the realization that I'm 32 and in terms of the music industry I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm not going to be a touring musician. And uh, that was extremely hard <laughs> and extremely heartbreaking. It kind of brought me to this place of crisis. And I just kind of uh, was talking to God about it. And he said to me, um, Jenny, do you trust me or do you trust the plans that you think that I have for you? And so that summer kind of became ground zero for my life. Um, these things ending had felt like that my future was blank. And so for this last year, it's kind of been this time of falling in love with Jesus again. And so it's just really exciting to um, find joy simply in knowing God and simply in following wherever he leads, no matter what that is. Um, yeah, and I just feel really free and I'm really excited about my life, no matter where God takes me, no matter if the dreams that I once held so closely come true or not. Well, welcome to Grace, everyone. Thanks for being here this weekend. Welcome, everybody, watching online. Thanks for joining us as well. 
I love Jenny and I love her story and I, I love her mindset that what I want the most in life is for God to define and direct me. And whatever path God takes me down, whatever his will for is, uh, for is for my life, that's what I'm going to embrace and that's what I'm going to lock hold of and that's where I'm going to find my joy and that's where I'm going to find my fulfillment. And God doesn't always make my dreams come true, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't love me, he doesn't have a purpose for me, he doesn't have a calling for me. And what I want is what he once. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend is what does it look like to desire, to crave for God, for Christ to define and to direct our lives. And that desire, that willingness to look and say, God, what I want is I want for you to make my path straight, the way the Bible would say it. I want you to execute your plan for my life. And regardless of whether it matches mine or not, I want that more than I want anything. And we would say that a true Christ follower is a person who craves that, who wants that, who embraces that. The Bible uses these terms, who hungers and thirsts after that. So we've been talking about these ideas for uh, several weeks now, and we've just said, what, we're asking the question, what is a Christ follower? Like for legit, what is a Christ follower? Uh, there's all kinds of noise in our culture, right? All kinds of people who slap the, the term Christian on themselves, all kinds of folks who would say that they're the church. And I would look at them, I bet you do too, and cringe a little bit and say, man, that's, that's, I don't even want to be associated with that. That's nothing, nothing that I would believe in or that I see in Scripture. And so we said if we could cut through all of that noise and get back down to the Bible and to Jesus himself, what would he say? How would he define it? And let's discover those definitions and then think about how to weave those into our lives. And, and we've talked through a bunch of them. They're out on the website. Uh, they're on our app. You can catch up if you want. But this weekend, I want to look at this idea that a, a true Christ follower is one who desires God, who says, I want you to define me. I want you to direct me. And that is the most important thing in my life. When you look back into the scripture and you look at how God called people, how Jesus would call people, uh, that was how they were wired. That was their tendency. You know, he would he'd walk up to guys. He'd be like, why don't you come follow me? And they would drop their nets. They would walk away from their businesses and they would, they would kind of abandon their plans and they would follow Jesus is pretty typical of the way that somebody would do that, that he would kind of absolutely become the focal point of their lives, uh, regardless of what that meant to their present circumstances. Uh, he would call people to follow him and they would set aside their rights. Uh, you don't find true followers of Jesus in the Bible who, who would say, I'll follow you, but but you got to bless me, you got to make me healthy, you got to make me wealthy, you got to make my hair grow back. Like you you got to do these things for me or I'm not willing. Let's come to a negotiated settlement here. They, they would set aside their perceived rights and they would follow Jesus and they would look and say, Jesus, I'm all in regardless of the cost of my life, regardless of the impact on my life. Uh, I am going to follow you and you steer me, and you lead me, and you direct me, and I will go along for the ride, so to say, because that's what I want more than anything. And when you look at the scriptures, that's pretty typical. 
Uh, if you want to see the world through Jesus's eyes, if you want to see the world differently, that's the way that Jesus would see it. His callings were intense. He would look at people and he would say, listen, if you want to follow me, uh, you got to dive into this. So for example, like a baseline calling, a baseline thing that Jesus would say, you got to believe this or we're not even like talking about following me is, is a, something that would be very radical to our, our Western ear. Uh, and it would be this, Jesus would say, we're not even like talking about following me until you believe that I am the one true God and the sole path to heaven. Like if we're not talking that, we're not even on the same, you know, planet as far as that. And so that was like a baseline. Now to our Western ear, that sounds pretty radical. Like we wouldn't, our culture wouldn't think like that. But Jesus would be like, no, that's like step one that I am the only God and the only path to heaven. And then he would kind of even amp it up from there. So he would say like, if you wanna call, if you wanna follow me, uh, you have to lose your life to gain it. We call it dying to yourself. You gotta die to yourself. And if you're not willing to, to be, you know, at least open to walking away from everything you have, everything you do, your family, your culture, and dive all in with me, then like we're not even talking about whether you're following me or not. So that calling would be high and that calling would be intense and it was this all-in thing. The, the idea that like I want Jesus to improve my life so I'm going to add him in, it would be a totally foreign concept in the Bible. Uh, the idea that like if I, I'm going to round out like kind of a healthy lifestyle by adding in, you know, some spirituality and I'm going to call that Jesus is going to be totally foreign in the Bible. Jesus never thought or talked or called people in those terms. It was kind of like, let's, let's dive into this together. Or let's not do it at all. Uh, because the, me being God and my cause and my kingdom being the focal point in the investment of your life is actually what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. So it was an all-in kind, of kind of a thing, jump in with both feet. I don't know if you've ever done something where you've jumped in with both feet and, and it's crazy. I, this summer I was on vacation with my wife and a couple of friends. And something you need to know, if you don't know me, is that my, my wife is crazy. She's insane. This is a plea for help. This is what this is. This is a confession. She's nuts. She's insane. Like she will do anything. She, she is fearless. So my wife, who I love, and then my friends who are jerks, they, they, they talked me into going paragliding. You guys ever seen paragliding before? So we're up in the mountains and they're like, you know, it'd be fun. It'd be fun if we jumped off this mountain. That would be fun. And I am, I am deathly afraid of heights. Like I will literally get like dizzy on a lap right? I just don't do heights. And so they were like, let's go up and let's go paragliding. So they talked me into it. This is a picture of me paragliding. I'm probably about 5,000 feet off the ground right there. If you see the tear coming out of my eye, that's what that is, right? So we go up this mountain and we meet these people. We've never met these people before, but we're going to trust our lives to them. Good plan so far. And so we go up this mountain and they're like, you go first, Jeff. And I'm like, why? Because I have the most life insurance? Yes. And so... They're like, you go first. So I, I get strapped in with that guy. He, they call him a pilot. He's not a pilot. He's just falling with me. That's, 
what he is. And so we're strapped in. So you got to get strapped in, and then you like sit awkwardly in this guy's lap, which is a whole nother thing I don't really want to talk about right now. And so I'm strapped into this guy, and he's like, are you ready? And I'm like, pretty much no. And he, go, he goes, are you strapped in tight? I'm like, shouldn't you know that? <laughs> like, you should be in charge of this situation, not me. So I'm like, I think so. And I'm like, what do you do? What do you do? He goes, well, we're going to run in tandem, and we're just going to run off that cliff over there. And then, you know, what's supposed to happen is the parachute's supposed to deploy. I'm like, there's nothing about you saying supposed to that, that makes, gives me confidence. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. He goes, don't, he goes, come on. He goes, don't you want to live a little? I'm like, no, I want to live a lot. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm really into living, you know, I'm real pro living. He's like, come on. So he's like, let's go. And so that was, that's the plan. You run and you run off the side of a mountain. And in theory, the, the parachute you know, takes you and then you ride the thermals. He's like, if the thermals are good, we should be fine. I'm like, do you test that beforehand? Like, how do you know? And so we did. And we ran off this mountain and you grab like the, the wind, the warm air grabs this thing and just whoosh pulls you up into the air. So at the, at the highest point, I think we're about 4,500, 5,000 feet. And you're just floating, sitting in your new best friend's lap. And <laughs> You're up there, and, it, and it's crazy because you have no control, right? You have no control. He's the pilot. He has to define and direct your life. He's making your path straight. He's deciding where to go. You're just trying to kind of like not wet yourself. That, that's all you're kind of doing. And so you're, you're up there, and you have no choice but to trust him because you decided to run off the cliff. And Jesus would look and say, right, that's following me. Following me is not like I make your dreams come true. Following me is not like I improve your life and like give you the stuff that you want. Following me is will you run off the cliff with me and then I kind of manage it from here you are along for the ride. You trust in me with all of your heart. I will make your path straight. I have prepared you in advance for good works that you are to do, and I have decided those things. Christ followers, welcome it. We, we, don't, we don't fight it, because once you're on that parachute, you don't go back. I mean, there's no reverse, I found out, Right? You're either going to plummet down or glide down gently. Those are like your two options. So you don't go back. You trust. You rest and you embrace that. You welcome that. See, somebody asked me after one of the services, they said, were, were you terrified the whole time? And I said, actually, no, because once you're out there, you can't do anything. It's a weird thing. There's no point of being scared. Right? It's actually kind of fun. But, but, but once, once you're out of control, you're out of control. You rest in it and you find joy in it. And Jesus is like, right, that would be like normal. That would be normal for a Christ follower. If you want to find your life, you lose your life. We run off this cliff and then I define and direct you from this point forward. There's this fascinating passage in the book of Luke, chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up there if you want to. If you don't have a Bible, there's somewhere in the chairs. It's page 724 in those Bibles. 
And if you don't own a, a physical Bible, if you want one, just keep it. We'd love for you to have it as a gift. This is all on the app too, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going to talk with three different guys all about what it's like to follow him. And in this, what we're going to see is there's some ramifications. Like if you want to, if you want to have your life defined and directed by Jesus, if you want to sign up for that, there's some ways that this is going to play out in your life. And they're pretty big. And they're going to press into things that we hold as high values in our culture. And Jesus will look at these guys and say, yeah, if you don't release these things, uh, then you're going to fight me the whole time. And that's not what a Christ follower does, not a genuine Christ follower. A genuine Christ follower embraces these things and allows it to play out. This is what he says, verse 57, chapter 9 of Luke. He says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And these are three examples that God recorded for us in Scripture that help us understand what it actually means to embrace allowing God to define and direct our life, what would be typical of a Christ follower. First guy comes up to Jesus. He's the one that asked to get in on it. And he said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus shoots back at him and says, listen, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The guy says, Jesus, I'm in. I want to go. And Jesus basically looks back at him and says, do you have any idea what you're signing up for? Do you, know, you even know what you're talking about? Let me frame up some context for you a little bit here. At this point, Jesus' life and ministry, things are popping. Like he's a big, big deal. He started to do miracles, so people are seeing that. They're seeing the miraculous. I bet you this guy did. He saw the miraculous. And Jesus is very much a rising star. We always have to remember, Jesus was a big, big deal and a big, big celebrity until about a week before he was crucified. Like Things turned quick. So at this point in his life, he's still a big deal and still a big celebrity. Everybody thinks he's the next hot thing. And this guy would have seen that. He would have looked and said, man, Jesus does stuff for people. I'll, I'll be in on that. Everybody loves Jesus. I would be in on that. If I was going to hitch my wagon to a guy who's just skyrocketing through the social strata and the political strata and the religious strata, I would hitch my wagon to Jesus. And so it's from that position that he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I'll go wherever you want to go. If I can get in on this, I'll be in on it. Because, because you can do a lot of things for me, and I am really open to you doing that. And Jesus looks back at him and says, do you understand what you're thinking, what you're saying? Birds have nests, foxes have dens. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Do you really want to be like me? Do you really want to follow me? Because following me is not what you think it is. You will wind up with nothing. You will wind up losing your life. 
something that would be typical of a Christ follower is this, to be defined and directed by Jesus. One of the things I have to kind of put on the table is I have to relinquish the ownership of my material things. One of the, one of the big, big false teachings right now in Christianity, the old-fashioned word for it is a heresy. So one of the big heresies that's, that's all over the sound waves and the TV waves and all over the internet right now is this idea that what God does is he makes your dreams come true. What God does is he gives you what you want. That, that you have dreams and you have hopes and you have desires. And if you interact with God just right, he will come along beside you and he will empower those things and he'll give you whatever it is you want. You just have to interact with him right. In fact, if you send in your $100 seed pledge, God will give you $10,000 back. If you, if you start going to church, God will make your business pop. If you start doing this, then your relationship will work out. If you pray at lunchtime, then you'll make varsity. That's God's job. God exists for you, and you just have to invite God in. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, in essence, um, you exist for God. And if you want to be like me, then you have to hold with an open hand everything you have because I have nothing. I was talking to a guy a little bit ago who was, he thought he was an atheist. I, he's probably an agnostic, but he kind of wants to believe in something. And so we were talking about this. And he, he looked at me, he goes, you know what the problem with you guys is? He was talking about pastors. He says, you guys just want money. That's your problem. I was like, okay. He goes, yeah, you know, you got these private jets and you got these fancy cars and these fancy clothes. I'm like, I'm with you, man. I don't have a jet, but you know, I got a nine-year-old Yukon and I shop at Target. So I'm like, I, I got you. I, I said, but I, I looked at him. I said, listen, man, I, I know what you're saying. I get frustrated with those things too. I, I'm with you on it. I said, but let's, get, let, let's forget about those guys for a minute. Your issue is with Jesus. And you believe that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus was manipulating people, that Jesus was trying to gain wealth and gain political power and gain social standing, right? Right. I said, okay, let's look at this. Because when you think about Jesus, if he was lying, what was in it for him? He got nothing. He did not have money. He did not have fancy clothes. He didn't have a pimped out donkey with like spinners on it. Like he, he didn't, he never had a political office. He never had political power. When you look at Jesus, there was nothing in it for him, but by his own will, he still laid his life down. It never benefited him. It only benefits us. So at a minimum, at a minimum, Jesus believed he was God. Jesus looks at this young man. He says, listen, you want to follow me? I'll go wherever you want me to go. Okay, let me tell you what it might be like. It might cost you everything you own. It will certainly cost you financial security. It will probably cost you your retirement. It will very likely cost you at least aspects of your North American financial dream. You want to be like me? I don't even have a pillow that I call my own. There's nothing in it for me. So if you want to go with me and your thought is there's nothing in it for you, I actually want to lose my life 
now we're having the conversation that I believe is typical for those who want to be my followers, right? We relinquish our ownership of material things. By the way, on a side note, side note, right? This is why we tithe. This is why we tithe. When, when we tithe, the Bible says that we are to give 10% of our first fruits. That's our pre-tax income, by the way, so you don't have to ask me later. So it's our first fruits. The reason we tithe is not because God doesn't have money, right? The reason we tithe, it's a discipline that reminds us that what we have is God's. It's the same reason we pray. We don't pray to inform God of what's going on. We're like, God, give me a safe trip and bless my meal. God's never like, what? I didn't know you were going somewhere. And you're going out to eat at Olive Garden? Of course I'll intervene. Like, that, that, we, don't, we don't do that because it like shocks God. We pray to remind us that we're dependent on God. Prayer is an act of humility. It's not an act of information. So we pray to remind us that God is the one. That's why we tithe. We don't tithe because God's broke. We, we tithe to remind us that actually everything I have is God's and, and this 10%, I just given it back to you to remind me to be grateful for the 90% that you told me I can keep, right? And then what you do with the tithes is you build the kingdom of God. So that's how they're invested. But that's for you. It's not for the church or for God. It's, it's a habit, a discipline that reminds us that to follow God means that I have an open hand all the time. And God may or may not ask you. He may or may not ask you, you specifically to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He may or may not ask you to invest in the kingdom in a certain way. But he would look and say, yeah, just keep this as a baseline. Everything is mine it's a gift from me. It belongs to me. You're welcome to use it until I need it. Because the model is me. I don't even have a pillow that's my own. Say, you want to follow me? You want to be defined and directed by me? That's the type of place that I would very typically lead you. The second guy Jesus interacts with, right? So they're walking along. The second guy Jesus turns to, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. So Jesus invites him, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So that sounds harsh to the Western ear. So we got to put a little bit of cultural context into it because it, to our ear, it's like my dad died yesterday. Can I bury them this afternoon? I'll catch up with you. And Jesus like snaps at him. So you got to understand a little bit differently. In the ancient world, wealth moved from father to son. Mom and daughters were not involved at all. So in the ancient world, wives, daughters, women had no value. They were property. You literally bartered with them. That's why ancient kings had so many wives, 
right? Because they were bartering property. In fact, it was Jesus, the teachings of Jesus that caused equality among the genders. It's the Apostle Paul who said, uh, in Christ there is no male and female. Uh, a woman is equal to a man. You're, this woman is your sister in Christ. She's not your property that you barter with. So it's actually Jesus who caused equality among the genders. So before all of that teaching became social norms, it, it was women as property. Think of the way that ISIS would use women. That's the way that the ancient world typically thought. And so what this guy was saying was this, Jesus, I want my dad's money because money, power, and prestige move from father to son. And if the son left, he forfeited his place in line and his younger brother would get it. So he says, Jesus, first let me bury my father. Jesus, first, hold on, I'll follow you. I'm really into you. I think you're great, but... It, my dad's old. He's like 42. Like my dad's like super old. If I could wait for him to die, then I, secu I secure my place financially. I secure my place socially. I inherit dad's business. We've got this great little PETA business going on. It's fantastic. Like I get that. And then I secure my place in the family too. So think of it like in England. Think of how the monarchy passes from father to son and like there's one family. That's the way it worked in the ancient world with everything. Jesus, if I go right now, if you could just hold up, God, once I have my money from dad and once I have my position from dad and once I have my influence from dad, locked in, then what I'm willing to do, this is what I'm willing to do, I'm willing to, when I have extra money and extra influence and extra time, I will give it to you. Just let me get there first. And Jesus looks at him, of course he knows his heart, he knows his mind, he looks at him and he says, listen, let the dead bury their own. You, you, you want to go after me, then let's run off this cliff. Let's do this. Because there's nothing greater. You, you're going to gain the world and you're going to lose your soul. There's nothing greater than following me, being in a relationship with me and proclaiming me. Do it now. Why would you put that off? Do it now. If we want to be people who are defined and directed by Jesus, one of the things that we have to hold with an open hand is our plans and our dreams. We have to look and say, my plans and my dreams are yours, God, and I want to give those to you. What Jesus was doing with this guy was he was pressing into the idols of his heart. And an idol, an idol is anything that we love more than Christ. So let me, let me give you an example. So for instance, if I, if I know clearly that the Bible says something and I refuse to do it, whatever I am refusing to do and doing instead is an idol in my, in my life. Okay? So for instance, if I know that the Bible says to tithe and I refuse to tithe, money is an idol in my life. Make sense? Uh, if I know what the Bible says about sex, that sex is to be into the protective confines of biblical marriage, of marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime, if that's where sex belongs, but I'm still sleeping with her, then sex is an idol in my life. Uh, if I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, the Bible says that we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. So I know that I am to forgive, but I hate my ex so much. She's such a, he's the biggest, right? I hate him so much and I refuse to forgive. Then bitterness is an idol in my life. I actually love bitterness more than I love God. 
So Jesus is pressing into this guy's heart. And he's like, listen, you love your security more. You love your social position more. You love your money more. It, all that stuff is going to go away. It's dead. Let, that, let the dead bury the dead. You want life? Lose your life and you'll gain life. Proclaim the kingdom now. And the guy's like, I'm not doing that. It's fascinating. So many of the idols in our culture today that we would tend to lean into, when we abandon those idols, we would hear that or think of that as radical, as extremists. And God would say, no, not my followers. We see the world differently. So security is a big idol in our life. We're really into having safe trip homes. We pray about that and bless food more than anything else. And when somebody acts or forsakes security, we think they're being irresponsible, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my kids to, to Chad or to Haiti or to Mexico to do missions work, or we're going to do, oh, you got to, I don't know, that's not the right, I don't know if you should do that. That's irresponsible. And Jesus would look and say, that's typical. If somebody goes down a plan or a path that, that's off a path that leads to in wealth and independence, we think it's irresponsible. Hey, mom, dad, I, I'm, I'm not going to go to college right away or maybe at all. I want to I go to the mission field or I'm going to go out here and do this year-long gap year thing all over the world. Oh, now, honey, honey, we had a plan. What about your scholarships? What about your SAT? We've been working at this. Oh, mom, dad, I feel called. No, honey, that's, that's just, not, I don't know. Maybe later, when you retire, old people do that stuff sometimes. See? Things that are typical for Christ would sound radical or extreme to our ear. And Jesus would say, let the dead bury the dead. You proclaim the kingdom. Do it now. This is the greatest thing. And my followers who are defined and directed by me, that's pretty typical. They just kind of jump. I'll provide for you. You will have food and shelter and clothes. Everything else, you know, the 70-inch flat screen, eh, you know, maybe. Third guy comes up, verse 61. He comes up and he talks to Jesus. So another said, I'll follow you, Lord. I'm in. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let me say goodbye to my family. Again, it kind of sounds harsh on the surface, but remember, Jesus knows what this guy is really thinking because he, he knows your thoughts. He knows everything. So he understood what this guy was really thinking. This guy was saying, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'm pretty into that, but first... Let me double check with my mom and dad. Make sure they're okay. Let me double check with my girlfriend. See if she'll wait for me until I get back. Let me double check with my school. Because if they'll hold those scholarships for a year, then I would be really, really open to. And Jesus looks at this guy and he says, you don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Jesus knows what he's thinking and he's saying this. He's saying, listen, this is an all or nothing thing. And what, what you want to do, you want to follow me with a backup plan. And, and, and you're either in or you're not. It's all or nothing. 
It's not follow me for a while or let's see how this works out, but let me have a backup plan. I felt called to ministry at Momentum. Youth conference was like amazing. And I went to college, but I'm going to get a business degree too because you know, you never know. What, what, back, what backup degree are we talking about? I'm going to make sure, like I'm willing to do this, I'm going to make sure that like my employer will hold my job. Wait, I thought we were doing this. I'm going all in, but I gotta make sure I gotta make sure I got enough money in my account before I go so I can retire. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, nah, this is not how this works, man. You don't you don't put your hand to the plow and look back all the time. You don't do this with a backup plan. You you go, you run off the cliff and then you kinda go. See. And that's typical of someone who would follow me. Jesus would look at this guy and he would say this. He would say he was double-minded. This is the way the apostle James talks about this in James chapter 1, verse 5. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. James says, listen, this is the way it works. If you're just not sure where to go and what to do, no problem. If anybody asks God, he will give wisdom and he will not find fault for you asking. Like you wanting to know God's plan for your life and you wanting to know how, how you should uh, follow him and you wanting to know what path he should go down, no problem at all because that gets confusing. You should ask God. He'll, he, he, he will give you wisdom and he will give it to you generously and he will not find fault. But once you know what God wants you to do, once you know what the scripture says, once you're certain of it, you're convicted of it, you got that knot in your stomach, once you know that, you have to believe and not doubt. Like once you know that that's the cliff you're supposed to run off, you have to run off and, and not doubt or back out because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. You're just going to be blown back and forth. I want to go, but my backup plan. I want to go, but what about this? I want to go, but oh, this relationship. You're just going to be all over the place. And then James goes on and he says this, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God gave you an answer, but you don't want it. Well, God bless me, make me whatever. And God's like, why would, why would I do that? I mean, we're not even like on step one yet. God help me, fulfill me. Well, you won't even jump. I, I don't. That person should not expect to see, receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. They start, they stop. They go, they back up. They commit, they break the commitment. And Jesus looks and says, listen, you put your hand on the plow, you don't look back. If you do, that person is not even really worthy of serving in the kingdom. So when Jesus, when he thinks about following him, that's what he thinks about. When he thinks about being his follower, he thinks about that kind of in like radical terms. We would think of it as extreme terms. You start talking about like laying your life down, 
dying to yourself, going on in, giving your life for your beliefs. To our ear, that's, that, that sounds more like a terrorist to us. And Jesus would look and say, no, that's, that's my followers. They, they do that because they hate and they seek to kill, harm, and destroy. It's the spirit of the devil. My followers do this because we love. We willingly give our lives. We willingly give our fortunes. We, we willingly give our plans and dreams. Because my followers would look and say, there's nothing greater than the kingdom. There's nothing greater than knowing and loving Jesus. There's nothing greater that Paul calls it participating in the power of the resurrection. And we would do a different math. We would see the world differently. See? And we would think, well, that's, that's normal. That's logical. That, that's right. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, guys, with a, with a conversation like this, I, I want to be very careful that I don't tell you what to do. Because here's, here's the deal. You radically following Christ will probably look differently than me radically following Christ. And if I start to tell you what to do, then you'll just do what I did. So I don't think that all of you need to quit your jobs, go to Bible school, and become pastors. You might not have to do that, but I did. I know that that was the cliff I had to jump off of. See, I don't think all pastors need to start churches, but I needed to start one. I don't think that all of you need to sell all that you have and close your businesses and move to Chad, Africa, but there's people in the Grace Church family that had to do that. I don't think that all of you need to surrender your dreams and just find joy in where Christ has you right now, but Jenny had to do that. So I don't know what you have to do. You may not have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's not the question. The question is, would you? Oh, I would. Really? Because you, you won't even return 10% back to them. I mean, would you? I'll go anywhere with you, God. I'll do anything. Well, why, why don't you tell your friends about Jesus? Don't just be nice to them. Like, love them enough to care about their soul. Well, I'm not doing that, but I'll go to Mexico in February. See how that works? And Jesus would, might look and say, listen, this isn't like one-off stuff. It's not short-term stuff. Like, this stuff's great. I'm, I'm not trying to knock it. But I'm talking about all in. Let's go off the cliff. And I, I will steer your life. And your job is to embrace that. Receive it. Understand it. See? And allow that to be your fulfillment and your joy and your purpose. And what we've done here this fall to try to help you with this is we've created a self-assessment, right? So it's online. So if you've got your phones, grab your phones, take them out, or just click off Snapchat and jump over to the Grace Church app. I can see your phones from up here, by the way just so you know, and I also can see them on the internet. So just so you know, I know what's going on. So uh, take the Grace Church app, hit it. If you don't have it, go to the app store, search Grace Church 30, and you'll find our app, download it real quick. 
When you open that up app up, you'll see like our, our different campuses or seven different campuses. You want to hit the Bath campus. That's the one you're in right now or that you're watching right now. A menu will come up and it'll say things like hurricane relief and stuff like that. And right there on the top of the menu is discipleship assessment. So every week we're putting in a brand new assessment for you every week. And this is what we want you to do. We want you to assess yourself because I don't want you, I don't want to tell you what to do because you'll just do what I have to do. And God has a different, a unique calling on your life. So we want you to assess yourself those four or five questions Submit it, and we'll fire back to you a customized plan that you can go after this week. We might have you read some other scriptures. We might have you, might suggest a class or a book or a connection, right? So it just depends on what you enter in, depends on what you get. And start to look at this and say, God, will you help me open my hands, open my heart, open my mind, I want to embrace your definition and direction. Will you help me do it? I asking for wisdom. God will look at you and say, I love that you ask. I will give it to you generously. I do not find fault. Okay? So you can fill that assessment out. At the bottom there, you can submit it. We'll fire you off an email. It may go to your spam, so you got to double check that. Or you can just take a screenshot of it. If you're not sure how to take a screenshot, find a four-year-old and they will show you how to use your phone. And and they will take that shot for you, okay? And then you'll have that. If you want to interact with one of our pastors or leaders directly, you can do that at the bottom of the assessment or you can fill out the connection card. And we would love to sit down with you and sort this through because all of this is our individual responses to God, okay? There are principles in Scripture, obviously. But leaning into the leading of the Spirit understanding the ways that God created you uniquely, your shape, the unique life experiences that you have that not everyone has. So we would love to lean into those things and coach you and help you and show you any way that we can, all right? Guys, listen. The calling of Jesus will cause you to live outside of the normal boxes you live in. If you are a Christian and your life looks like everybody else's life except you go to church on the weekend, if you're a Christian and your finances look like everybody else's finances except you're generous once in a while, if you're a Christian and your hopes and dreams are like everybody else's hopes and dreams except you allow Jesus to tag along, When you look at Jesus and what he said and what he called us to, you're, you're not going to find those boxes. So looking deeper and looking and saying, Jesus, it's not the left, it's not the right, it's this other path that is uniquely you. That's the one I want, that's the one I'll embrace Help me walk it. And Jesus would say, there you go. A Christ follower is someone who welcomes me, Jesus, defining and directing their lives, right? Okay. I'll pray. The band will give us a little bit of headspace, and you can pray and do that assessment, spend some time with God. Jesus, we love you. God, help us, show us. Thank you for loving us.
God, you gave your life. You laid it down by your own will. It wasn't taken from you. And so Jesus, if, as we mimic you and model you and follow you, Lord, this is what we want. It's hard. It's scary. It's uncharted. But God, give us courage and strength and faith to interact with you in a way that's outside of ourselves. God, that might start with just calling you our Savior and Lord. And so through your kindness, God, if that's where we're at, draw us to yourself even now. And then, God, as we journey with you to trust you, to lean into you, not to our own understanding, and allow you to pilot us to make our path straight. Holy Spirit, press into our hearts even in these still moments. Jesus, we ask these things in your name.